again, I'm Dr. Wendy Wolfman, Director of the Menopause Unit at Mount Sinai Hospital. All of the presenters today attended the International Menopause Society 2022 World Congress that took place from October 26th to 29th. And today it gives me so much pleasure to introduce my former fellow, Dr. Michelle Jacobson, who's from Toronto. She is currently an assistant professor at the University of Toronto in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and a core obstetrician gynecologist and menopause specialist at Women's College and Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. She's gonna summarize the highlights of a very interesting presentation from the meeting and an area that she's an expert in. The talk was optimizing risks of hormone therapy through choice of progestogen or progesterone. And for any of you who do prescribe hormone therapy, this is a really important topic. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Jacobson, and we're so looking forward to your presentation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Wolfman, for the kind introduction. Uh, it's my pleasure today to go through two of the presentations uh, amalgamated into one that uh, I attended at the International Menopause Society Conference in Lisbon. Uh, the summary slides are entitled Optimizing Risks of Hormone Therapy Through Choice of Progestogen or Progesterone. And this is an amalgamation of two presentations by Drs. Gompel and Panay. So why do we care about using progestogens or progesterones with combination hormone therapy? Well, we know that unopposed estrogen is associated with an increased risk of endometrial hyperplasia of 20% in the first year of unopposed estrogen use and of 62% after three years. Uh, when women have had a hysterectomy, they're able to use estrogen alone hormone therapy, which has a number of benefits, particularly with regards to breast cancer risk. But for women who still have a uterus, whether they're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, we need to use some combination of estrogen with progestogen if we're not using the tissue selective estrogen complex in order to protect the endometrium from becoming hyperplastic. The progestogen can be given sequentially or cyclically. Cyclically will lead usually to scheduled endometrial shedding or bleeding. It can be given continuously or combined, combined where we would expect to have amenorrhea or it can be given in a long cycle format where estrogen is given daily and an antagonistic progestogen is given once every three months for 10 to 14 days to bring on a secretory change and endometrial shed. Alternatively, a medication like Tibolone is a combined cholesterol, a cholesterol molecule that gets synthesized into a combination of estrogen, progestogen, and androgen. These presentations remind us that when it comes to troubleshooting different progestogen exposures and side effects that women have, we're able to use the selectivity of different generations of progestins to try and mitigate side effects. So remember that progesterone is very agonistic to the progesterone receptor uh, and is antagonistic to the other um, cholesterol receptors that we have in the body, but the different generations of synthetic progestogens actually have non-selective activity at these uh, receptors. Therefore, we can take advantage of um, 
problems like bloating, for example, if we give something that is very anti-mineralocorticoid, we're going to be able to potentially uh, get rid of some of that excess water weight. And understanding the way these different generations of progestogens uh, uh, are uh, active at the different progestogen receptors will help us to really mitigate some of the side effects. So the example is for spironolactone and drospirinone, which is, uh, which is agonistic at the progesterone receptor and antagonistic at the mineralocorticoid receptor. When it comes to breast cancer risk and progestogens, the uh, summary is that this is quite controversial. So we know that when it comes to estrogen alone, women who take conjugated estrogen, even over 20 years, have a lower risk of breast cancer than women who take even placebo. So the, the summary from the Women's Health Initiative data is that the increased risk of breast cancer is primarily associated with the addition of a progestogen to estrogen therapy. We know that the longer this exposure happens or the higher dose of the exposure, the higher the risk of uh, breast cancer is. Um, and this is sort of explained by the idea that only the women who had exposure to medroxyprogesterone acetate in the Women's Health Initiative also had an increased risk of breast cancer, whereas the women who took estrogen alone had a lower risk of breast cancer. We know that different types of progestogen have different effects on the uh, breast cancer cell lines in vitro. So what we're looking for is something that's going to be fairly neutral. And you can see the middle light blue bar here is a combination of uh, estradiol and micronized progesterone. So this seems to be fairly neutral in terms of apoptosis and proliferation. As we look at the dark blue bar on the left-hand side, we see that something like medroxyprogesterone acetate um, is sort of associated with the worst apoptose to proliferation um, uh, ratio. And medications like uh, didrogesterone and tibolone uh, tend to have a better favorable profile. So anything that's going to be to the, to the progesterone line or above is going to be more favorable in terms of breast cancer risk, whereas this is consistent with this, the summarized research where synthetic progestogens tend to be worse for breast cancer risk overall, and micronized progesterone tends to be the most favorable among the medications that we have accessible to us um, for combination therapy. The type of progesterone definitely has an impact on the relative risk of breast cancer. So we know from studies like the E3N study that women who used estrogen plus micronized progesterone therapy did not have an increased risk of breast cancer after about until about five years of use, whereas women who were taking synthetic progestogens did have an increased risk. And the relative risk changes depending on the type of uh, progestogen used, um, where it's overall approximately in the sort of uh, 1.3 range. And this is consistent with systematic review and meta-analysis data as well. When it comes to venous thromboembolism risk, similar findings where the type of progesterone does seem to make a difference. Women who take micronized progesterone have, seem to have the most sort of neutral risk when it comes to combining it with estradiol therapy and the risks increase with the different generations of uh, synthetic progesterone therapy. The transdermal estrogen therapies combined with micronized progesterone seem to be associated with no increased risk of VTE. This is in sort of two large case control um, studies uh, from the UK databases, and the highest risk was seen with conjugated estrogen or an oral estrogen with medroxyprogesterone acetate. Bioidentical progesterones. Um, such as micronized progesterone and body similar progestogens like didrogesterone seem to not increase the VTE risk 
compared to synthetic progestogens. This is sort of repeated in this Esther case control study, which looked at about 270 women and compared transdermal therapy to oral estrogen therapy. This is the study that primarily supports the use of transdermal or estrogen therapy. But if you um, look at all of the data associated with this study, we also see that micronized progesterone and the pregnant derivatives are associated with a lower thrombotic risk profile than the uh, norpregnant derivatives. When we look at cardiovascular events, and we didn't really uh, have any studies that use something like MI as a, as a primary outcome, but many of these used uh, secondary outcomes like VTE as a surrogate measure for cardiovascular events. Again, we found that, um, that micronized progesterone tend to have the best profile compared to norpregnane derivatives. So if you have to take anything away from these two studies, uh, these two um, talks, it really is that micronized progesterone tends to have the most favorable profile as it pertains to breast cancer risk, venous thromboembolic risk, and cardiovascular risk, regardless of the type of estrogen it is combined with. What about endometrial safety? So this is where micronized progesterone tends to be less favorable compared to some of the more antagonistic progestogens. So um, this first systematic literature review on micronized progesterone uh, compared the different doses of oral micronized progesterone to vaginal micronized progesterone and looked at transdermal as well. An important takeaway message from this is that transdermal as progesterone does not get absorbed through the skin and does not provide adequate endometrial protection. So transdermal progesterone should not be offered in, uh, in um, combination with any kind of exogenous estrogen as an endometrial protective agent. Oral micronized progesterone provides protection if applied sequentially for 12 to 14 days per month at a dose of 200 milligrams per day. That seems to reach luteal levels of progesterone. Vaginal micronized progesterone can be offered at lower doses. Um, so in this particular systematic review, sequentially for at least 10 days per month at 4% or 45 milligrams daily, or alternating days at 100 milligrams per day for up to three to five years. In some of the other studies, this uh, every other day dosing was not necessarily supported in terms of uh, endometrial protection. So I would still encourage you to use daily vaginal progesterone or cyclic higher doses of vaginal progesterone in the same way you would an oral progesterone. We know that progestogens tend to be better at protecting the endometrium where something like micronized progesterone is less uh, effective at preventing endometrial hyperplasia than something like medroxyprogesterone acetate, which is more antagonistic to the endometrium. And if you're going to go with the long cycle HRT, it's worthwhile to use something like medroxyprogesterone acetate once every three months to get that adequate uh, decidualization of the endometrium. Another important point to keep in mind is that natural progesterone or micronized progesterone, especially given orally, has metabolites that are um, sedating and calming. This is not necessarily true for synthetic progestogens. So if you're trying to improve sleep dysfunction uh, and insomnia, micronized progesterone is a better option than any of the synthetic progestogens, which can also have a negative and less anxiolytic effect on mood. Alternating regimens for endometrial protection include using um, micronized progesterone or digestrone, which we do not have available in Canada. Again, that's going to be 200 milligrams uh, cyclically or 100 milligrams daily, depending on the dose of estrogen being used. The general rule of thumb is that 100 milligrams of micronized progesterone can antagonize a 50 microgram daily estradiol transdermally. 
uh, or approximately one to two milligrams of oral estradiol. Uh, you can use ultra low dose estrogen therapy on its own and follow the endometrium with ultrasound and um, endometrial biopsy to determine if any hyperplasia is developing. You can give long cycle progestogens where a synthetic progestogen is used once every three months to give a quarterly bleed. You can use local delivery of progesterogens like an intrauterine system and either dose of the intrauterine system should be adequate for endometrial protection based on the studies that were used to develop a menopausal intrauterine system that never went to market. There are progesterone suppositories, progesterone gels that can be used. Um, these would be similar to the ones used for fertility treatments, and these should be adequate to induce the endometrial protection needed. Um, and we can avoid using progestogens altogether by using something like the TSEC or combination of a very antagonistic serum with conjugated estrogen. Although at the time of this presentation, these are not currently available on the market. In the worst of cases, we're able to give unopposed estrogen and follow the endometrium closely, or even offer hysterectomy such that unopposed estrogen can be offered. Keep in mind that among all of the different progestogens available, Overall and over time, uh, over about 13 cycles, we expect to see similar rates of amenorrhea. So if breakthrough bleeding is the problem, uh, this tends to resolve uh, over 12 months with, um, with all of the different progestogens out there. So in summary, not all progestogens and progesterones are equal in their effects. Micronized progesterone and didrogesterone, which is a synthetic that is similar to micronized progesterone but not available in Canada, appear to be more breast and metabolically friendly. The route of administration matters, so vaginal progesterone or a levonorgestrel intrauterine system could be used to reduce the side effects or abnormal bleeding in perimenopause and in menopausal women. Um, and we really need more long-term data to confirm major outcomes with body similar or body identical progesterones, uh, but for those ideally oral or vaginal administration as opposed to transdermal is going to be the safest. So I'd just like you to remember that you have lots of different options available in Canada when it comes to the different progesterone and progestogens that we have. These can be dosed in different ways. The regimens can be given orally, vaginally, or intrauterine. And we wanna really try and pick something to start with and then make changes based on patients' um, uh, side effects and adverse effects. If we're trying to minimize breast cancer risk, we're going to use progesterone or the TSEC. If we're trying to minimize venous thromboembolism risk, we're also going to use progesterone and we're going to use transdermal estrogens. When it comes to breast cancer, cardiovascular disease and venous thromboembolism, micronized progesterone is still the winner and medroxyprogesterone acetate still has the worst outcome profiles. Alternatives can be used such as the levonorgestrel intrauterine systems. And there are many different ways to dose micronized progesterone. The simplest being the progesterone uh, Capsules, which can be given orally, or the same capsule can be inserted vaginally. Transdermal progesterone is not adequate for endometrial protection. And if patients are taking exogenous estrogen, they are essentially using unopposed estrogen if they're applying their progesterone transdermally for protection. And I really thank you for inviting me to this presentation. Thank you so much, Dr. Jacobson, for that excellent and illuminative summary. I know we learned a lot today from that presentation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Wolfman, for, uh, for speaking with me today and for inviting me to be part of this program. It was a real pleasure.